in uh, relationships, could be friendships, could be marriage. Predictability can be a good thing. You know, it gives you comfort, gives you some security. You know what to expect, you know what not to expect. And so you, you like that. You like at times in relationships that there's this predictability. But as time goes on, if it's always predictable and nothing changes, you find that your relationship or your marriage begins to get into a rut. And the definition of a rut is a grave with the ends knocked out. And you just stay in this, th- in this rut and all of a sudden the relationship goes down, the marriage goes down, and it's just overwhelmed with predictability. And what you need is an infusion of something unexpected. Something unexpected to happen. And all of a sudden, when one person does something unexpected for another one in the right way, <laughs> there are some unexpected that have not worked out too well, but in the right way, when you did something that's unexpected, all of a sudden, it adds a wonder to the relationship. Because the relationship has grown stale. Yes, we're still together, and, and yes, we interact with each other, and we're traveling life together, but it's just not the wonder that needs to be there. But then something unexpected gets introduced into it, and the wonder is back. It happens in relationships, and it also happens in our relationship with God. When you make a decision, and you say, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life to save me from my sins, and his spirit comes in and, uh, and, and tabernacles with me, he's in my heart, in my life, you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not rituals and rules and regulations. It is a relationship. And we need to remember that. And when new believers make that decision, they accept Christ, there's this wonder in the relationship. Oh, this is great. And they're just learning new things. And, and they're the ones that come up to you. And they're just smiling from ear to ear. And this is what God told me. And this is, man, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm just loving it. And then what happens is we become veterans of this relationship. And it's easy for all of us to fall victim to just the predictability. And I began to think through it. I've been thinking through this for weeks as I prepared to get ready for this, for this series to see the direction that we go. And I tried to think, I said, who's, who's the most susceptible That's a tough word to say. We got it, though, didn't we? Okay. (laughs) Susceptible. We love editing. We kind of cut out the part where I had a problem with it. No. Uh, We're most susceptible, okay, to to fall into this, um, I don't know, predictability, to where there's really not a wonder in the relationship with God. So I began to make a list of people that could fall under this. And uh, this, is, this is who we are. Oftentimes, those who struggle the most with a wonderless relationship is the dedicated Bible student, the read your Bible every year person, the one who takes either a K. Arthur Precepts class or a Beth Moore Bible study or a community Bible fellowship or is involved in a D group, the Sunday school teacher, the seminary graduate, the church staff member, the discipleship group leader, the Greek and Hebrew scholar, the seminary professor, the committed scripture memorizer, and even the senior pastor. 
all of us. You see, we've got this theological framework built and we're quick with the answers about our Bible and about God and we kind of feel like we've almost got God down to a formula. And with all of our knowledge and all of our study, we've got a confidence in what we believe in and we can defend it in whatever setting comes our way. But if we are totally honest, for many of us, we've lost the wonder of the relationship. We know the Bible stories and we can quote scripture but we just no longer marvel over the wonder of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, and what he desires to do through us. We're believers, we're Christians, but it's just not the wonder in the relationship. It's one more Bible study, one more cool fact that I learned that I can raise my hand at the next discipleship group meeting and say, let me share this insight with you. But where is that wonder in that relationship with him? Where is the wonder? And if I've lost it, how do I regain it? You see, when we sit there and we have entered into this relationship with Jesus, we need to understand that he is the unexpected Jesus. And that we need to fix our heart to his heart. We need to fix our eyes on the unexpected. And we need to be ready for whatever Jesus will do next to regain the wonder of his shadow step. Every week, all the way through Easter, we are going to look at different times in Jesus' life of where we see the unexpected. And as I've gone through and looked at this, I believe every message should resonate with all of us. Anytime you hear a biblical message, there should be something for all of us. But we know that there are ages and stages and places of our life to where we need something specific for that particular time of what we're walking through. And I got some great news for you. If you stick with us through this entire series, every Sunday is going to be a little bit different focus that I believe will touch right where some of you are right now. Today, this focus is really on the mature believer. Those that know a lot about God, but maybe they've lost the wonder. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them to Matthew chapter 3. And it's about the baptism of Jesus. You heard some of the people tell the story. And I want to read you exactly what it says in the Scripture. And it's the unexpected Jesus with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, uh, he was the one that God has called. And he says, you're to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness and he's preaching this message of repentance. And as he's preaching this message of repentance, people are coming from all over to hear him. And, uh, and they're coming and they're being baptized for forgiveness of their sins. So when someone would come to him, they say, I want to repent of my sins. He would baptize them. And then they begin to start a new life. So in verse 13, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. We're going to come back to that. It's huge. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I would tell you 
that John the Baptist was the leading theologian of his day. No one else during that day would agree with that statement because the rabbis, the intelligentsia of that day, the theological schools thought he was just a crazy man that was out in the wilderness. But in actuality, he was the one man who had a word from God. He was the one man who had the most direct message and call from God. And he was preaching what God had told him to preach, and he's the one that was talking about the coming Messiah. He was the one that had his sermon saying, it could be any day now, Messiah. And my job is to prepare the way for that. Nobody was preaching more assertively about the Messiah coming than John the Baptist. If you're in a discussion saying, what's all that Messiah talk? He said, hey, have you heard what John the Baptist says? That's the guy you'd go to. Because he's the one who kept talking about him. He said it could come at any time and started explaining what it would be like. And so he's out there and he's preaching it. He knows more about the coming Messiah than anybody else does. And he's in the midst of this and he's preaching and he's out in the wilderness and he's out in this wilderness. He's there at the Jordan River and he's baptizing people as people are coming. And then, unexpected Jesus, the man that you've been talking about <laughs> for, for months or years, here he comes. Unexpected Jesus. He shows up in verse 13. And there's a lot of unexpected. First of all, it was an unexpected place. It was an unexpected place. He says he was out in the wilderness. Now, if you ever took a look at the map of Israel and you go down the Jordan River over here, there's some areas that are just barren wilderness. Jesus lived up here in Galilee, up in Nazareth. And for him, he would have to travel all the way down here to get to the wilderness. It was an unexpected place. You don't just stumble in to the wilderness. You have to be specific. And in fact, it said in verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized. So you need to always keep in mind, you got to feel confident. Whenever Jesus shows up unexpected, there is a reason and there is a purpose. So when Jesus shows up and it's unexpected, why Jesus is showing up, why this opportunity has come up, there is a reason and there is a purpose. But it's an unexpected place. He's there in the wilderness. And then there was an unexpected position. He says, to be baptized by him. Now, when I say unexpected position, there were tons of people, lots of people, that were coming to be baptized. If you look back in verse 5, it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It meant that there were large crowds. So large crowds of people were coming to be baptized. And here comes Jesus. He's come all the way from Nazareth. He comes walking down. He's in the wilderness. And here's a lineup of people getting baptized. And what did Jesus do? Got in line. He didn't have a fast pass to get to the front of the line. He didn't sign, hey, let me play that son of God card. Hey, I'm son of God. I think I should be up over here. <laughs> Step back. Son of God. Back up a little bit. He didn't do that. He, wasn't, he didn't have a premium membership to where all of a sudden everybody else is waiting for popcorn and Coke, and he could get ahead of them and, and get his ticket and get his popcorn and Coke, get his baptism, be here and gone. No. He was in line. And, and there's a guy or a gal in front of him, and there's someone behind him. These are sinners. These are people that are saying, Man, my life, I've messed up. I need forgiveness. And I'm in this line. And he's rubbing shoulders with them. And maybe they're in some conversations. Hey, where are you from? At Nazareth. Hey, whoo, 
rough hands. What do you do for a living? Carpenter. Hey, great, great to see you. What do you do? Hey, you know? What do you hear? You know, the fun thing would be, man, I really got a sin problem. How about you? No, don't really have that problem. Uh, but, uh, you know, but, but they're in the line, and, and that's a place you would not expect him to be. Not the son of God, the Messiah. This is supposed to be like some incredible king that we just, oh, look at it like this. No, he's right here hanging uh, with everybody else. He's just hanging with everybody else over here, just rubbing shoulders with humanity. What an unexpected position. Well, then there's an unexpected petition. Whoa, look what he says. In verse 14, it says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? He made an unexpected petition. When his time came and they baptized the guy in front of him, and then John the Baptist looks up next, and here comes Jesus. He walks in the water. And he says, I want you to baptize me. I want you to baptize me. And uh, he fought it. He said, no, 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 you should be the one baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. I mean, he just buckled his knees. I don't know if you ever watch baseball and ever watch a guy that's got a great curveball, but a batter will be standing in there and the guy can throw a curveball that looks like it's hitting right at his head and his knees buckle and then it cuts right in for a strike. That's what happened to Job. I mean, his knees were buckled. They said, are you serious? No, 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 no. No, I, 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 whoa, you should be baptizing me. I, I shouldn't be baptizing you over here. What a petition. I want you, John the Baptist, to baptize me. Now, his answer on the surface was theologically correct. He says, I'm unworthy to baptize you. You know, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. But the issue was broader than that. Now, John's got a great theology, and he understands a lot. And he could just travel that road if he wanted to. And all of a sudden, unexpected Jesus comes up, and he says, I know you think you've kind of got, a, got your arms around this whole thing. No, it's bigger than you think. And what's getting ready to take place here in these next moments is so much bigger than you can even imagine on there. And that's where it's the unexpected purpose. There's an unexpected purpose because everyone else that stood there and walked into the water when they were baptized, it was they were sinners, they're asking for forgiveness of their sins, they raise up from the water, they're cleansed again, and they move on with their life. But when the Son of God came to be baptized, it's a whole different purpose. And let me just, let me just check mark these purposes for why he did this. Number one, he stands in solidarity with sinners. Now in verse... 15, Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's the only statement that we've got. And um, it's fitting for us. You're a part of this, John the Baptist. And it is to fulfill all righteousness. And we're going to explain that as we explain these things. He, first of all, he stands in solidarity with sinners. He identified himself with all of these sinners right here. The sinless one chose to put himself alongside those that were sinning. He wanted the, them to know that as the son of God, that he stands for the ones that are sinners. The sinless one stands with those who sin. And if you could just take this one thought, that wherever you are in your life, to know that Jesus stands with you. He stands with you. He stands for you. 
And so he stands in solidarity with sinners. He didn't get the fast pass. He's just right there with them. He wants to relate to them because he's going to be representing them in just a moment. The second thing is he signals his willingness to take on the role of a servant. He signals his willingness to take on the role of a servant. We're going to look at the end of the message, Isaiah 42, 1, but it talks about the suffering servant. And this is what Jesus came. He came to be the suffering servant. But the first mark of a servant is to obey the master. And so he was to obey God. And by him stepping into the water, he is demonstrating his obedience to God. God has said, I am to be baptized. And so John, to fulfill all righteousness, I need to be baptized. I'm going to obey God. And when I do this, it is letting you know I'm going to be the servant. I will be subservient to God the Father and the plan that he has and why he sent me here to, um, uh, to earth to do this work. I will be obedient to him. And there'll be a fulfilling of all righteousness on there. Number three, he serves as our substitute for the payment for sins. He serves as our substitute for the payment for sins. You see, when he stood there with those people, he says, I'm like you guys, okay? He was 100% human, 100% God. And in his own humanity, he is standing and saying, I can relate to sinful man. I am sinless, but I relate to you. And guess what I'm going to do? I am taking your sins. I will be your representative, and I will go to the cross, and I will die for you. I will be the substitute for you. So all of you people that are right here, you're getting baptized by water, but something different's going to happen. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit uh, years from now, after I've died, risen from the dead, and you accept me, then you get a whole new life in Christ. He says, I will be your substitute for payment of the sins. And so he clearly connected his baptism with his baptism of death. In Luke 12, 50, look what it says on the screen. When he was talking to others and he's looking towards his death, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So he used that, that same terminology of baptism as that one day I will die. And just as you saw these four that were baptized, it's that beautiful symbolism of, of going under the water, the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried. And then when he raised up out of the water, it was a beautiful picture of the resurrection of Christ. And then when they walk out of the water, it's a picture of his ascension to heaven. And for them, it's a picture of a new life in Christ that they are going to be leading. And so he took our place and paid for our sins. And so as he is going through this baptism, he is letting people know, I am a servant of God. I will be the one that will be a substitute for the payment of sins. He went into the water for us, and he went to the cross and died for us. He's our substitute. And then the very last thing, it serves as a model for future believers. It serves as a model for future believers. Last thing Jesus told his followers, go into all the world, and you're to make disciples. Teach them to do all things I've commanded you. And he says, when you go, you are to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when a person makes a decision for Christ, let them take that next step of obedience in baptism. It doesn't save you. It is a demonstration, a picture of what has just happened in your heart and a reminder of what Jesus did. And if Jesus got baptized, then as a believer, we should be baptized. And we make that decision for Christ. And so he serves as a model for future believers. It's an unexpected purpose. 
I mean, John's over here and he's baptizing people and this is the right thing that he's doing. And then when Jesus comes in, it puts on a whole new meaning. It's a whole new meaning. Wow. Jesus showed up at an unexpected place, stood in an unexpected petition, made an unexpected, uh, an unexpected position, made an unexpected petition, and then all of a sudden had this unexpected purpose for all that took place. And in the middle of all that, you get an unwavering response. And the unwavering response was that after Jesus was looking John the Baptist in the eye and he says, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then the key words in the text was, then he consented. What if he'd say, no way. I'm sorry, you're just wrong, Jesus. You know, I've kind of studied the Old Testament. I got, I got some pretty good knowledge. You know, and uh, that's just not right. I'm sorry, it's just not right. It's just not right. Wonder what would have happened after all that. Well, I, I know what would not have happened, and that is verses 16 and 17. But because of his unwavering response, do you think that John the Baptist understood it when he gave him that one that one statement? When Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you think it just clicked on with him? Call me crazy, but I don't think it, it did. And the reason I know is because I've read so many commentaries where everybody's got their own ideas to what it means. And I'm just thinking, standing there in the water, do you think he fully understand it? I don't think he fully understood it. But you know what he did know? This is the son of God. And what he says, I will do. I won't fully understand it, I think I've got an inkling as to what he's talking about. But if you've asked me to baptize you, I'm going to baptize you. It was an unwavering response. If we feel like that we have lost the wonder of our relationship with God, that whenever those unexpected things come up, he's waiting for a response from us. And the people you look at and talk to who seem to have this close walk with God, there's just something about their relationship with Jesus. You hear them talk about that. I think the reason that is true is because whenever that unexpected stands up and presents itself, their response is, yes, Lord, I'll do that. Do you fully understand it? No, I don't. But I believe you're leading me, and I'm going to move forward. But when he did that unwavering response then the last thing that happened was an unexpected wonder. Whoa. He never had this happen before when he was baptizing. In verse 16, it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. In the song we just sang, it says, so take another step. All right. So he took his step. And as soon as he went out of the water, what happened? And behold, the heavens were opened to him. When we heard the, um, of the children up there, and they were talking about, it just, heaven just was torn open on that. You're looking there and saying, no, that didn't happen. Yes, it did. He was exactly right. Uh, he's a Greek scholar. It's incredible. Uh, because in the book of Mark, when it talks about that, it uses the word schizo, and the word schizo means to tear open. And so heaven did tear open. And as heaven tore open, all of a sudden, there was... The Spirit of God descended like a dove, and then there was the voice of God. And it's interesting because in Isaiah 64.1, it says that the cry of the people is that God would rip open the heavens and come down. 
They were waiting for God to come down and to make his name known. There was this anticipation of the Messiah. And after Jesus was baptized, it says that these heavens were torn open. And then all of a sudden, the spirit like a dove descended. And the voice of God is heard. And for those that were a part of this, their mind would go to Isaiah 42.1 when it is talking about the coming Messiah. And look what it says. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. Does that sound familiar? This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. It was fulfillment of Isaiah 42.1. And so in this moment when Jesus was baptized, you know what he did? He consented to death. Because his call was to go to a cross and pay the penalty for your sins and my sins. And when he went into those waters and obeying the call of God, was baptized and came out of the waters, he just consented to death. And one person has said it was the ordination of a suffering servant and the coronation of a king. Because once that process started, there was no doubt. That yes, one day he would die, he would be crucified on a cross, and he would be buried in a tomb. But there was no doubt that three days later God would raise him from the dead. And there was no doubt that after that took place and he ascended up to heaven, he'd be at the right hand of the Father. And he is going to be the one to where everyone will say, King of kings and Lord of lords. So it was both an ordination of a suffering servant and the coronation of a king. All took place right there in that particular time of baptism the unexpected wonder. And the result was that John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus. He heard the voice of God speak to him. The unexpected wonder. Wow. Now, my day started out pretty good, he said, but this is unbelievable. And because of that unexpected wonder, God deepened his theology. He added to his experience of his walk with God, and he added some more wonder to his relationship. He consented. It just jumps out at me. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Unexpected Jesus. He's going to show up at different places. He's going to show up at some unexpected positions. He may make some unexpected petitions to you. He may disclose some unexpected purposes, and it'll all come down to an unwavering response. What will you do? If you push it back, you've pretty well assigned your life to be one of predictability with almost a hand's distance from God. Don't want to get too close. But if you do the consent, it's just unbelievable what God can do. If you took a look in in Acts, you don't need to turn to it, but in Acts chapter 10, Peter, leader of the church there in Jerusalem, Jesus has already ascended to heaven, persecution starting to take place in Jerusalem, the church is spreading out, and Peter goes up on top of the roof uh, just to kind of have his, his quiet time up there and to have a prayer time, and when he did, he falls into like a trance, and he sees this vision. And it's a vision that this sheet comes down, and there's all these animals on there, <clears throat> animals that, that in the Jewish dietary law were unclean. And then the voice of God said, Peter, kill and eat. Go on, get those up. Eat this that is common. Eat this food right here. 
And Peter's response was this, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. I know the dietary laws. I've learned them all that were in the Old Testament, and I just want to let you know I've never done that. And then God's voice says this, what God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. He did this three times. Brought the same thing, did it. And when it ended, I love the next verse. Peter was perplexed in his heart. <laughs> he says, this doesn't make any sense. What's up with this? Then, knock on the door. He goes downstairs. There's some men there from Caesarea. They say, are you Peter? He says, yeah, I'm, I'm Peter. You kind of got a glazed look in your eye. Anything going on? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm a little perplexed right now. And I said, hey, listen, um, Cornelius, you know, the ruler, Roman ruler there in Caesarea, uh, said that um, uh, an angel came to him and said, call Peter. Call for Peter and have Peter come and tell you what he needs to tell you. So that's why we're here. Will you come with us? He said, yeah. So he follows them, and they travel, and they get to Caesarea. And he gets to Caesarea, and he said, we want you to come on in to where Caesar is and where all his uh, workers and servants and officers and all that stuff, if you'll just come on in. For a Jew, a Jew was never to go into the home of a Gentile. And Cornelius was a Gentile. That was unclean. But now Peter, over these last few days, has been going over his head, what was this that God just showed me? What was this unexpected thing that God just showed me? And then you get to Acts 10 of his response. I just want to read to you what he said. His response was this. In verse 27, he says, and as he talked with him, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And Peter said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for I came without objection. I came without objection. Why did you send me? And Cornelius recounts that story. So what is it you're supposed to tell me? He said, let me just tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and so he shares about Jesus. And he shares about Jesus. And when he shared about Jesus, he says, in the midst of his talk, it was the Holy Spirit fell on these believers and they were, had this amazing outpouring of God's Spirit. And they began to respond and react to the Spirit the same way the Jews did at Pentecost and other places. And so all of a sudden, Peter's eyes are open and he steps back and he says, the same Holy Spirit responded to the Jews the same way he responded to, with the Gentiles. And as they responded to him, it was poured out on them. And he went back to the church in Jerusalem, called all the people together and said, folks, I've got to tell you. The same Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles as it does on the Jews. This is changes. This is the whole new ball game. And in chapter 11, verse 18, he says, And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They just thought they're supposed to go in the world and talk to other Jewish people that were around the world. They didn't know they're supposed to get the Gentiles too. And now all of a sudden with this, they realized, they said, we got to get the Gentiles too. 
this opens up a whole new world of opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is incredible. And it all came down to when Peter was up on a roof and God showed up in an unexpected place and he gave him an unexpected message. And then as he goes downstairs, he kind of gets an unexpected request and he accepts it with no objection. And that was just part of it because then he comes to the edge of the house and he says, it's unlawful for me to come into the house, but because of what God has showed me, I think I gotta walk in the shadow step. I'm ready to take the next step. It led him right into Cornelius' house. And as he goes in, he shares the gospel. And as they say, the rest is history. And we began to see this explosion because then God calls another man by the name of Paul and then we began to see things begin to really take place with the gospel being spread. Had no objection. John the Baptist consented. Peter, I did it without objection. It changed him forever. He understood the difference between clean and unclean. Then all of a sudden, there is none. They're all together. And so what we take from this is that we want to regain the wonder of a walk with Christ. And to regain that wonder, it is to fix our eyes on the unexpected. We're to fix our hearts with his, and we're always to be looking for that unexpected. We're ready for whatever that unexpected is. And what I like so much about the song is at the very end of the song, it says, ready to go where you will go, all right? I'm ready for what you'll do next. And then the last line of that song says, so take another step. And it's as if the song is, if I could put myself there, it is me saying, I want to fix my heart to yours, Lord. I want to be ready to go wherever it is you say that you want me to go next. And I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, so take another step. Thumbs up. I'm ready. I'm prepared. So take another step. And when you take that step, I then want to follow in your shadow and see where it takes me. And there's probably some unexpected along the way. But, that, <clears throat> but that's the wonder of it. That's the wonder of that relationship. May we as a congregation and as individuals regain the wonder of what it is to walk in the shadow step, to fix our eyes on the unexpected as we fix our eyes on the heart of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you desire to have a relationship with us. It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not just learning facts and figures, but it is truly a relationship with the Son of God. And Lord, in order for us to keep that in mind, we pray that you would bring new, fresh things into our lives and our hearts and help us to look for that unexpected. And Father, help us to regain the wonder of what it is like to be a child of God, to be adopted into the family of God, to be a joint heir with Christ. And maybe, and maybe we not just push all that aside and to get locked into the predictabilities, but to live our life with wonder. 
and to say, Lord, we're here. And we'll take whatever it is you want us to do. We'll take whatever steps need to be taken. We need to speak with whoever we need to speak to. We'll change our lives with whatever needs to be changed. And we want to maintain this incredible relationship with you. And we pray that it would never get stale or stagnant, but yet there would always be the wonder. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.